Chapter Twenty Eight of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Twenty Eight, A Night Attack. Rupert Granton came to the Culture College that same evening after Gerald Aspen had left. He had not particularly desired to see Fidelia but he found her with lady scardale in one of lady scardale's rooms and the man would have been dull indeed who did not know by the looks of the two women by their affectionate clinging to each other that something had happened which filled their minds when he entered lady scardale was seated with her arm around fidelia's waist holding the girl tenderly to her the coming of rupert disturbed this little arrangement and fidelia drew away and blushed a good deal instinct told rupert what it was all about you must congratulate her rupert dear lady scardale said i am so glad you have come in good time to do it why don't you shake hands you two i want to know she asked in the sweetest tone of remonstrance she knew full well what rupert felt towards fidelia and she wished to break things gently to him and to show him that he must take things lightly at least in appearance and assume to fidelia the manner of a friend to his friend fidelia hung back a little confused she somehow wished that she had not been present when the news was told to rupert and then she never could take his hand without a hesitancy and a cold tremor she had forced herself to do it but it was always a pain and grief and a renewal of old grief to her for that hand had killed her father rupert hung back too well knowing what must be in the girl's mind each however well knew the severe necessity there was for keeping lady scardale ignorant of that which was within their knowledge lady scardale misinterpreted the feelings of both she's going to be married rupert she said to mr aspen and she looked into his face sympathetically take her hand and wish her joy rupert moved towards fidelia she advanced to him he kept his eyes averted the window was open it was a soft evening of early autumn and the exquisite breath of the flowers was borne into the room at that moment rupert saw professor bostock standing on the path outside the window and looking keenly into the room neither lady scardale nor fidelia could have seen him from where lady scardale sat and fidelia was standing granton took fidelia's hand it felt as cold as marble and he lifted his eyes to hers and wished her joy oh how sincerely he wished it how he loved her all the time how he saw in a moment all his past life come back upon him and that one hateful scene the memory of which made him reluctant to touch that girl's cold hand how he lamented for his wasted youth and wished that he had led another life 
it seemed him for the moment as if tears were coming into his eyes he the outcast of aristocracy the purposeless wanderer the social exile the world's tramp the rowdy of new york and new orleans and vera cruz and brazil and chile and asia and south africa he felt his eyes growing moist because he wished in his heart for the happiness with another man of the girl he loved and whom he was soon to see for the last time all this passed in a second in a flash and as he dropped fidelia's hand and his eyes left hers he glanced at the window and was aware that professor bostock was still there then bostock gave one rapid look into the room again with a sudden flame in his eyes and turned away in that instance granton had formed a theory that glance from those eyes had been as a revelation to him he did not stay long he told his sister-in-law privately that he would probably come back later in the evening he wanted to talk to her about two or three things he said carelessly lady scardale assumed that he wished to ask her some questions about the approaching marriage and she was anxious to speak to him quietly about it so he went away and late that evening after fidelia had gone to her own room for the night he returned but to lady scardale's surprise he did not speak about fidelia or aspen or the marriage she respected his feelings and said not a word on the subject he talked about all manner of other things and asked her two or three questions about her first knowledge of professor bostock it was growing late for that early place and lady scardale asked him if he would not stay for the night he often did thus stay he assented very readily on condition that he might yet lounge about the grounds for a while and smoke his cigar lady scardale gave her ready assent and she presently gave him a kiss and also the latch-key for one of the doors admonished him not to stay up too late and left him to himself she could easily understand she thought why he should wish to be left to himself he would want to indulge himself in lonely thinking over the coming marriage of the girl he loved and who was not to be married to him rupert wandered about the grounds smoking and thinking he wandered about purposeless as a ghost he was going away for ever very soon and it soothed his melancholy fancy to wander about the place alone and at night for the last time but he was thinking also of the mystery that had hung over the lives of so many people this time back ever since he returned to london and he was thinking of the revelation which he seemed to have caught from that one flash of bostock's eyes he had always noticed how heavy and how blank of all expression bostock's eyes habitually were he even remembered how on the day of the fencing-match and the unbaited foil 
bostock amid all the surrounding excitement had preserved that beamless look in his eyes then of course bostock knew that other eyes were on his but this evening this evening when for a moment he doubtless supposed himself unseen the eyes flashed and filled with lightning i have seen those blazing eyes before rupert told himself again and again where did i see them full of those thoughts some melancholy some penitent for the past some suddenly troubled and anxious about the present and the future he wandered through the grounds and at last came to a little clump of trees on a patch of lawn which he knew were under and just opposite fidelia's window and there he lingered a while there was a light in her window he watched it idly purposelessly felt as if he could not get himself away from the spot how confoundedly i am in love with her he said half jesting with himself and his own emotions at my time and after all my experience fidelia had no thought of going to bed just yet she was not inclined for sleep the events of recent days had kept her always always on the strain and stretch of anxiety and this day her mind had been especially strained the secrets she was keeping were growing too much for her were becoming irrepressible as the knowledge of the pythoness yet for the moment she must keep something even from gerald and she would have to keep something always from lady scardale when she and gerald were married and were safely away from england and quiet in some obscure place then but not till then she would tell him all before that time she did not dare to speak nothing she felt sure not even his love for her would prevent him from following up the clue to the crimes which it was in her power to give him and she told herself in heart-sickening conviction over and over again that his very first move would be the signal for his death oh how she hated the money which had been the cause of all this crime in some and suffering in others if gerald would only consent to come away then she thought she would be able to keep him with her until the danger was over until the mystery of the murder plot was unravelled and the murderer held fast by justice then she sometimes thought how would it be if bland driven to despair by some premature movement on gerald's part were to turn upon her and kill her how would it be with poor gerald the thought of her own death made her tremble and shudder and brought tears into her eyes not on her own account but because gerald would be so lonely and bland would be capable of that or of anything she thought in truth fidelia's love for gerald was making her timid was making her almost cowardly 
come an actual and present crisis and her soul and sense would surely rally but with the dark shadow of a vague danger over her and a danger about which she must not seek for sympathy or counsel her nerves gave away and she felt as if some paralyzing poison were doing its cruel creeping work within her she tried to read but she could not fix her attention on any book it is a sad thing for authors to know but it is a very true thing that a very little personal trouble or anxiety makes even one's favourite book sometimes an intolerable companion then fidelia felt back upon her own artistic resources she was fond of writing versicles and setting them to music she had a gift for versicles but no inspiration for longer and more pretentious poems she liked one thought expressed into a song and lifted on the wings of music a little song which she had lately composed and set to music came up into her mind and somehow or other it seemed to her to speak of her own perplexities just now and she sang it or crooned it in a low sweet voice all to herself her voice was not strong but it had infinite beauty of tender tone refined and delicate shading of expression all the soul of feeling seemed to fill it and make it intense this was fidelia's song sung for no ears but hers audible by no ears but hers ah wherefore smile when we so oft must weep and why rejoice when we must know regret or lose ourselves in dreams when after sleep we wake to muse on all we would forget why must we live when life is but to live why prize these few poor years of mortal breath since all that time and fate at last can give is the unlonged-for mystery of death the words answered to her thoughts just now in the end what else if gerald were to die if she were to die she sang her little song more than once and then she stood up and said to herself that she would shake off all morbid fears and fantasies and meet the perplexities and the dangers of life with hope and with a strong heart but the tone of the song had strengthened her in reality even though she did not know it all the time the sense of the reality of death is a tonic always she went to her window and opened it and stood on the balcony her room had a very pretty balcony of delicate and graceful ironwork and close by the balcony there grew a tall tree fidelia had long loved that balcony and that tree just now it came into her head in an odd sort of way that if she only were a schoolgirl again and not a personage who had to support the dignity of grown-up womanhood and long skirts she could easily climb from her balcony into the boughs of that tree and rock herself among the branches and look up to the moon 
and be cradled in romance and poetry she almost felt a wild longing to scramble into the tree from the railing of the balcony but she crushed down that wild desire unworthy of and indeed wholly unsuited to the dignity of long dresses so she contented herself with watching the swaying motion of the darkling boughs and listening to their melancholy music and then looking up to the voyage of the moon among the cloud islands of the sky after a while she came back into her room leaving her window still open and she sat in an armchair and began to think over things again she had resolved that she would not go to bed until she felt sleepy and that for the present she was certain to keep broad awake having settled into her chair with that resolve and that understanding she straight away fell asleep where she sat how long did she sleep some hours it seemed to her when she woke up it was in reality only a few minutes she was awakened by a curious rustling creaking sound just outside her window she jumped up and instinctively ran to the window to close it she could not tell why and then she became aware of a dark form between her and the sky then a man scrambled from the tree into the balcony all the tales she had ever heard about midnight robbers rushed topsy-turvy into fidelia's mind but even then she was trying to resolve that she would not get into a panic it was too late to close the window the man whoever he might be was already in the balcony don't be frightened he said in a too well-known voice it is a friend who comes and not an enemy miss locke it was professor bostock jaffet bland fidelia drew back he entered the room professor bostock here at this hour how did you get in why have you come here i got in he said by the tree and the balcony and the open window it was not a very difficult feat the getting out again she said will be even less difficult for you can pass out by that door she moved towards the door to unlock it he suddenly got between the door and her stay a moment miss locke don't be in a hurry don't be alarmed alarmed i am not the least in the world alarmed what is there to be alarmed at truly nothing he said grimly if you will only listen to me i am not alarmed and i don't mean to make any conditions pray allow me to open that door suppose i don't allow you to open it what then then i shall assume that you are going mad and suppose i am going mad what then then i shall ring for assistance for your sake as well as mine for my sake i am glad to hear you say for my sake because if you are going mad and your being here in this sort of way looks very like it you ought to be looked after 
she made another effort to reach the door he still kept between her and it with a rigid smile on his face you need not trouble about me he said i am not in the least mad in the medical doctor's sense of the word or that of the master in lunacy i am quite sane except for my love of you oh she exclaimed this is too much you will have to listen to a great deal more before i leave you fidelia i told you not to call me fidelia she said energetically and she tried again to get past him and to open the door or reach the bell i will not let you pass he said i have things to tell you that must be told i know that you are going to marry that young penny aligner aspen fidelia felt her anger growing beyond her fear if mr aspen were within hearing she said you would not dare to insult him bland paid no attention to her words i learned that to-day he said when i saw you and him and lady scardale communing and taking counsel together no one told me i can read things without a book i learned something else to-day as well now at least i have found out also who and where red gundy is fidelia's very natural start told the keen fencing-master at once that he had touched her he was here to-day bland went on i knew it the moment i saw the aristocratic mr rupert granton put out his hand to take yours i saw the pitiful beseeching sort of way in which he approached you and the way you shrank from him and the look of wonder in lady scardale's eyes and i saw the sudden way in which you two hastened to perform the business of clasping hands then a light broke in on me i had had my vague suspicions and conjectures but this was a revelation and so fidelia lady scardale's brother-in-law is the man who killed your father what a piece of news to tell her what a hold that gives me on him he would defy you he has told me the truth oh he has told you has he told her then the hold you hope to get is on that most sweet lady you are a gallant gentleman mr jaffet bland no not on her what do i care about her on you on your feelings for her fidelia for the sake of her feelings you will have to trade with me not even for her fidelia said she would despise me if i stooped to any compromise for one moment with you let me pass through the door or it will be worse for you in the end if fidelia could only have known that faithful eyes were watching her window at that very moment she might have been brave indeed but she was brave although she did not know that any help was near yet though she showed no fear and though indeed she felt her courage quite equal to whatever the occasion might demand she could not but see from bland's face 
that he was determined and that he would not allow her to open the door or ring the bell she well knew that he was a strong and an active man and that she would be but as a child in his hands one curious thought ran through her at the moment if rupert granton were there granton would be able to fling blant through the open window she did not wish her lover there even to protect her she would have dreaded a meeting at such a time between him and bland if she could only have known professor bostock she said quietly it is not like you to do a thing of this kind to thrust your way suddenly into a girl's room at night and insist that she must talk to you i will not talk to you what can you do i will open the door and go out or i will ring the bell until somebody comes if i allow you to do one or the other you will not prevent me by force i will he answered fiercely i will not hurt you fidelia unless i am driven to it but i will hold you in my arms as if you were a child just a little child suppose i cry out then he answered sternly i have two courses open to me i will kill you or i will say you invited me to your room fidelia turned on him a look of fierce contempt she even laughed say anything you like she said who would believe you in this house or anywhere else i will tell he said that you have long known me to be jaffet bland and that you have kept my secret from every one and i will tell that i wanted you to marry me and that you kept that a secret too and i will say that you invited me to your room to talk over things here to-night and why should they not believe that let us try she said scornfully we shall soon see whether there is any one in this house who will for one single moment refuse to believe my word let me pass why need we be enemies he said still keeping her from her purpose she would have made a rush at the door but for the mere physical reason that she shrank from the thought of being grasped and held in his arms you and i must always be enemies now she said passionately why must we i love you madly yes in that way i am a sort of madman as dangerous as any madman i am determined to get you to marry me fidelia by fair means or foul don't you see that this very night the mere fact of my being found here may be the means of securing my end why the finger of scorn will point at you if this gets out you coward to try and frighten a woman in that way but you don't frighten me what about your lover mr gerald aspen what would he say to such a story i wonder he would say what i say that you are a coward and a liar and i tell you something more mr jaffet bland you are a murderer 
i have suspected you this long time i have known you at last i only allowed you to speak to me in order that i might get at your secret there let me go or kill me if you like i would rather kill you than let him marry you what i did to him i did because i loved you and because i was determined that he should not marry you that is one thing i came to tell you here this night marry me and come away with me and that man shall be safe for ever and may get his money and write for his papers and find out some pretty commonplace girl such as english nature turns out by the dozen who will suit him nicely and can chronicle small beer and suckle fools for him i am not that sort of man i have never loved any woman but you and if i do not marry you i will take good care that no one else shall do it you have never had to deal with a man like me before fidelia you must make terms with me i am a desperate man then i am a desperate woman she replied i will make no terms with you kill me if you like you can't make me not hate you and you can't make me afraid of you hush listen there are footsteps there are voices people are coming oh thank god and then she sent peeling out scream after scream for help for a moment a second she believed that he would kill her his eyes blazed with passion and he seemed to be searching for a weapon but already there was a knocking at the door and two voices called on fidelia and the moment was gone and the mood of the wretched man gave way and he knew too well in his own heart that as he had hesitated for an instant to keep his word and to kill her it was all over now he let her go open the door he said and tell them just as much or just as little as you like she unlocked the door and lady scardale and rupert granton hurried into the room save me from this man she cried her self-control all gone rupert sprang at bland and struck him a fierce blow right between the eyes and bland went down in a heap on the floor take care take care fidelia exclaimed he is capable of murder rupert stood with perfect composure awaiting an attack but professor bostock gathered himself up quickly and made no attempt to retaliate i don't fight before women he said i saw you stab before women granton replied that fencing bout don't you remember tell me all about this fidelia lady scardale said she had been trying to soothe and encourage the poor shaken girl rupert dear please keep yourself under control and never mind that man we shall come to deal with him presently tell us all fidelia stay here mr bostock no i think i had better go bland said resuming now all the stolid coldness of his habitual manner i don't see that i am wanted here just now how did you come here lady scardale asked indignantly how did you dare to come here and thrust yourself at such an hour on this young lady 
we had many fencing lessons together he answered and i thought i should like her to have one more granton moved impetuously lady scardale put her hand on him and restrained him lady scardale was simple-minded for all her intelligence and her culture and she did not understand bland's metaphorical allusion a fencing lesson at eleven o'clock at night she said in actual wonder what do you mean mr bostock i thought i could teach miss locke something she ought to know about some people she ought to know bland said and with a fierce look at granton some people against whom she ought to defend herself i meant her no offence and no harm but only good if she could have seen it he did not offend me fidelia hastened to say dreading any further scene except by coming in and refusing to go away when i told him he must go offence enough granton said yes certainly offence enough lady scardale echoed mr bostock i think you must be going out of your senses i was going out of my senses i am coming back to them now how did you come so quickly fidelia asked of lady scardale you came before i cried out rupert knocked at my door and called me he said he had been wandering about the grounds and he saw some one climb into your balcony and he thought it better to come and tell me than to climb up himself and perhaps put you to a new alarm i saw who it was rupert said coolly and i thought miss locke that you would rather i brought my sister-in-law with me otherwise i could have got in at the window in a moment but i thought you wouldn't care for such an intrusion and a row in your room perhaps and although i was tempted to take the summary process i felt sure i had better bring lady scardale along i am glad you are all so happy and loving bland said with a sneer i shan't disturb all the happiness just now i may perhaps another time at present i don't care so much to stay he was quite cool now and his pale face pale save where the blow of granton's hand had left an angry red mark was quite unmoved good-night miss locke i am sorry if i alarmed you there are other things i am sorrier for than that good-night lady scardale i suppose you will scarcely expect me to-morrow i hope i shall never see you again mr bostock lady scardale said with all sincerity don't call him bostock granton broke in his name isn't bostock his name is stop bostock said and he said it so sternly that granton did pause mr granton we have both borne names that were not our own shall i tell your other name oh hush fidelia interposed bostock smiled perhaps for the presence we may keep our knowledge to ourselves he said it may interest these ladies some day granton looked at him with much amazement and some admiration for his coolness bostock drew near to granton may i speak a word or two with you outside 
he said in a low tone but not so low as to prevent fidelia from catching the sound and the meaning of the words she turned from lady scardale and towards granton do not go with him do not go with him i entreat you she said bostock looked back at her with a something almost like a smile upon his face there is nothing to be alarmed at miss locke i assure you he said i am quite tame at present but of course if mr granton is at all afraid i am not in the least afraid of you granton replied coolly come outside by all means i will see you off the premises and you can say what you want to say fidelia again turned with a little sob to lady scardale's arms her nerves were much shaken by the ordeal she had gone through lady scardale soothed her speaking softly and gently as to a tired child granton motioned to bostock to go out of the room before him with a salutation to the two women bostock passed out and granton followed him drawing the door after him the two men went in silence through the silent corridors and down the stairs till they came to the front door which granton unlocked and unbarred he flung it open and the two men stood together in the doorway in the clear light well said granton what have you got to say to me whatever it is say it quickly and let this place be clear of you i have to say that this is a duel to the death between you and me all right granton said i have fought in a duel to the death before now and been very sorry for it i don't think i should be particularly sorry if the result in this case should prove to be the same as in the other can you fight except with a foil unbaited you will find that i can the mark of your blow is likely to remain for some time i shall cease to feel the hurt if i can finish up with you it does look ugly granton said i lost my temper i confess seeing you in the room of a young lady for whom i and mine have the highest regard and you are a thorough scoundrel you know bostock shrugged his shoulders we needn't waste time now in calling names he was as calm as if he were merely arguing some point of detail in a fencing match perhaps i am a scoundrel are you sure that you are so very much better what did you mean granton asked taking no notice of his question by what you said about my name just now what i said bostock answered i know what your name was when you killed that girl's father but we needn't waste time over that either you will be anxious to return to the ladies and i do not love your company so dearly that i should seek to detain you now he emphasized the last word meaningly granton smiled slightly he was interested in the man's composure when do you desire my company he asked very soon bostock answered you and i hate each other at least i hate you which is enough for my purpose you have struck me 
and whatever you may think of me you have given me the right to claim satisfaction for that insult in the wild lands where you have lived you have followed such wild laws we must fight so you said just now grant instead and i am agreed will you promise me bostock asked to come to me where and when i call upon you within the next three days granton reflected for a moment while bostock watched him do you hesitate bostock inquired no granton replied i do not hesitate the whole thing is a little eccentric in london however possible it might be on the felt or in the calamity camp and in london one has more engagements than in those lively localities however i may say yes i will come to you where and when you call upon me within the next three days good said bostock good night he said this as tranquilly as a cherished guest might take farewell of some familiar friend he walked leisurely down the street toward the embankment granton watched him turn the corner and disappear there goes a cool and daring villain he quoted to himself i wonder what our next meeting and parting will be like well it doesn't matter much anyhow if he is a scoundrel i am a man of no account after all then granton fastened the door again and went upstairs he knows the whole story he said to himself and he is keeping it to tell my sister and every one another reason why i should kill him if i can or let him kill me the two women waited for rupert with much anxiety fidelia did not yet venture to tell lady scardale all that she knew about bostock she thought she had better tell all to gerald first take him now into her confidence and get his advice he would come to her next morning and there would be little time lost to tell lady scardale that night would be only to subject her to needless alarm there was nothing to be done for the moment and nothing was less likely than that bland would come back again then of course mr granton would stay in the house that night but this very thought made her uneasy why did he not come back could any harm have happened to him in the company of that man rupert soon came back very cheery his manner all changed i have seen that poor fellow off the grounds he said he is as mad as a hatter mad do you think he is really mad lady scardale asked ought we not to have him looked after is he dangerous oh well i don't mean to say that he is mad in that sense rupert answered carelessly but i am greatly afraid he is going off his head he is full of wild romantic ideas i should never have thought it never suspected it lady scardale exclaimed for that matter nor i her brother-in-law said but evidently he has heard something that put him out to-day and he looked at lady scardale and then made a slight motion of his head to direct her attention towards fidelia who was sitting in a silent wonder over the part that to her mind rupert was evidently playing 
oh lady scardale said and she felt pity in her heart but she quickly added he is not coming back here again no rupert said lightly he is not coming back here again i think you may be pretty sure of that soon afterwards they said each other good-night and the troubled evening came to an end end of chapter twenty eight